Hi everyone, and welcome to another ECICM Next Calibration podcast. My name is Ahmed Zahir. I'm a senior clinical fellow of adult intensive care at Oxford University Hospitals in the United Kingdom and an ECICM Next Committee member. With all the pleasure, joining me today, Prof. Antoine Baron, who is a professor of critical care medicine at Amboire Paris Hospital in Boulogne, France. Prof. Baron, Prof. Baron is well known for his research on cardiopulmonary interactions, ARDS, and mechanical ventilation. He has been a pioneer in using transesophageal echocardiography to discover and explore the pathophysiology of adverse effects of ventilatory support on hemodynamic functions. In addition, he has defined the utility of transesophageal echocardiography as a primary clinical tool for hemodynamic monitoring of the critically ill patient. Prof. Baron is the main pillar of the ACICM certification in critical care echocardiography, which is called EDEC. He is a key figure by all means. He has published landmark articles and worked with international societies in order to establish training requirements for critical care, for critical care echocardiography and ultrasonography. Prof. Baron is the current ECICM secretary and the chair of the Diversity and Inclusiveness Monitoring Program, sorry, Monitoring Group. Today, we will be talking and discussing to Prof. Baron about his recent publication, which is Echocardiography Findings in COVID-19 Patients Admitted to Intensive Care Units, a multinational observational study called the ECHO-COVID study. So welcome to the program, Prof. Baron. Okay, thank you, Ahmed. Very pleased to be with you. First of all, I would like to appreciate this wonderful and amazing piece of work, which I am pretty sure many intensivists across the globe will be keen to listen to your perspectives and results in such a difficult area of our practice, which was COVID-19 pandemic. I will ask the first question. I will start by saying, what was the main aim or purpose of this study? So ju just Ahmed, sorry, could you briefly repeat the first question? What was the main aim or purpose of the study? Okay, so, so our main uh, goal and so input was to, to report the echocardiographic patterns of patients admitted in the critically ill uh, for COVID-19. Because before our study, if you look at uh, what was previously published, finally, it was either a, a mixed population, I mean, uh, a population admitted in the hospital, not only in the ICU, or uh, uh, critically ill patients, but more uh, uh, evaluated as a survey and not as a, a clinical study. And so our input was uh, uh, to report the uh, cardiac patterns of uh, our COVID-19 patients. And one of the main uh, strengths of the study is that we included uh, 14 ICUs in eight countries and most of the uh, continents uh, worldwide in a large series of uh, patients because we included more than uh, 670 patients. And so the, the main input was just to report the incidence of RV and LV systolic dysfunction and the potential um, factors which were associated with such uh, inju cardiac injury. 
Thank you so much, Prof. As you have mentioned, you have involved loads of centers. Going through the data, it's huge from different centers. Can you give us a small insight about the methodology process? Yes, uh, the, the process is, uh, as usual in this kind of uh, study, especially regarding the COVID-19 patients because of the pandemic and because of the surge, uh, this study was, uh, is a retrospective and observational study. And so very briefly, we, we first defined a, a, a study period of observation between uh, um, February uh, 2020 to uh, uh, June, uh, end of June 2021. And so first and second, we uh, um, decided to include, it, to include all patients admitted in the uh, ICUs during this period and who had at least one echocardiography during the ICU stay. And I have to say, this is one, of course, of the limitation of this study is that we have a selection bias, which is that we only included patients who had at least one echocardiography. Uh, and this is the main um, uh, inclusion criteria. Just to, to clarify uh, one point, uh, interestingly, uh, if you look at our data, the echo was performed within the first two days following the ICU admission. It means that we did not report the cardiac, uh, the echo pattern after many days uh, in the ICU, but very quickly uh, following the admission. So we can consider that this is the initial uh, cardiac pattern uh, observed by echo and not uh, after many, many days with many confounding factors. Thank you so much. That was really informative. Going through the selection process of the patients, can you tell us about the inclusion and exclusion criteria? Uh, so there, there were uh, no, uh, let's, uh, let's say, exclusion criteria. The only one is that the uh, patient who did not have any echo during the ICU stay. And about the inclusion criteria, it was all patients admitted in the ICU for COVID-19 and who had at least one echocardiography. And so ju just to clarify one point, uh, they could be uh, mechanically ventilated or spontaneously breathing patients. Uh, we included both. And if you look at the results, we found that uh, mechanical ventilation was associated with the occurrence of acute core pulmonary. Thank you. What were the echocardiography parameters used in the study to evaluate both left ventricular and right ventricular functions? Yes, it's a, it's a good point. Uh, because it is a retrospective study, it was not possible to report, uh, let's say, quantitative parameters uh, in all patients for evaluating LV systolic function and RV function. This is why uh, if you look at the paper, you have two levels of evaluation. The first one uh, regards the qualitative evaluation that uh, we uh, add uh, for all patients by definition, just to, to tell, uh, for instance, uh, if the LV systolic function was normal, moderately depressed or severely depressed, or if the RV was uh, non-dilated, dilated or severely dilated. But in many patients of the cohort, uh, we also uh, add quantitative parameters. Uh, for instance, uh, on the LV size, it was mostly the LV ejection fraction to evaluate the LV systolic function. And for the RV size, it was uh, especially two different uh, parameters. 
The first one uh, regarded the TAPSI, which is the tricuspid annular um, systolic plan excursion. And the second parameter was the size of the RV uh, quantitatively uh, evaluated uh, by doing the ratio between the RV and diastolic area and the LV and diastolic area. And for the right ventricle, we also add in many patients uh, if the patient uh, exhibited a paradoxical septal motion or not. Thank you so much. Collectively, uh, maybe, what you have sorry, maybe I may add a, a brief point. Yep, yeah, please, please do. Yes. Thank you. Is that uh, in this study, we also systematically apply what we previously published uh, in, the, in the journal that we call the prices guidelines, just a way to report clinical study in critical care echocardiography. And we just uh, apply uh, something like a checklist that we proposed and published. And so just to tell you that uh, um, besides the echocardiographic data, we also uh, recorded many other interesting informations to accurately uh, evaluate the, the echo, uh, which was of course the patient's characteristics, that's obvious, but probably more importantly, uh, at the time of echo, many clinical data as the blood pressures, the need for vasopressure, the vasopressor, sorry, the uh, mechanical seatings, uh, and so on. And, and of course, the blood gas analysis with the PNF ratio, the PCO2. Thank you so much. It was really important to mention, and I will come to this in a, in a bit. I would just, uh, it was mentioned in the study that acute carpal pulmonary was reported as, as an association. Can you explain to us what were the risks for such an association, the pathophysiology behind it? Uh, you mean the, the, the occurrence of ACP in COVID-19 RDS? Yes. Okay. Uh, what we found uh, briefly is that the incidence of ACP was a, a little bit lower than was previously reported in non-COVID-19 RDS, because we found 17% uh, of uh, uh, patients with ACP compare usually in non-COVID-19 RDS around 22 to 25%. But we may explain that by different uh, um, reasons. The first one is that in our COVID-19 patients, we did not only include, as I told you, only mechanically ventilated patients, but also patients spontaneously breathing. And it was uh, uh, something around 30% of cases. It may explain this discrepancy. And this is especially true because if you look at our data, uh, mechanical ventilation was a strong risk factor for developing ACP. The second reason uh, could be uh, based uh, or on the uh, pathophysiology of the pulmonary circulation injury in COVID-19 patients. We have uh, previous studies that suggest that uh, probably the um, hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction is much lower in COVID-19 than in non-COVID-19 first. And second, that probably you have much more angiogenesis in COVID-19 patients. And so for these reasons, it is expected that the level of the pulmonary hypertension is lower in COVID-19 patients compared to non-COVID-19 patients, could explain the fact that the ACP could be uh, um, uh, at the lower, lower incidence. 
And that's interesting to, to look at our data once again, because um, the PNF ratio, which, is, uh, which was reported to be a, a high uh, risk factor for developing ACP in, in non-COVID-19 patients, uh, was not reported in our series to be associated with ACP, uh, which could once again suggest that you have less uh, effect of hypoxemia on the level of uh, pulmonary uh, hypertension. On the other side, and this is, uh, let's say, the reason why you, you have around 17 to 18% of patients with ACP is that, uh, as you know, these patients develop uh, some complications as a thrombosis into the pulmonary circulation. And this is indeed what we reported in our series is that the pulmonary embolism was associated with the risk of developing ACP. Thank you so much for such an informative answer. In from an echocardiography perspective, how can we evaluate acute core pulmonary? Uh, very simply, and as, uh, as reported in many studies before, which is the association of RV dilatation plus paradoxical septal motion. And so RV dilatation, as I told you, is uh, uh, defined by uh, RV and diastolic area uh, above LV and diastolic area uh, uh, um, uh, higher than 0.6. And paradoxical septal motion, it's not a quantitative parameter. This is only yes or no. So if we add RV dilatation plus paradoxical septal motion, we consider it that the patient had acute corpulmonary. Thank you. You have mentioned earlier that there were two levels of assessment. One of them was quantitative and one of them was qualitative. Was there any, were there any discrepancy in the assessments in terms of their levels? Were there any, any discrepancy in terms of different echo parameters during the patient assessment during the study period? So we, we, had, uh, we reported many supplementary data. So not as uh, main uh, tables or figures in the manuscript, but as supplementary data. And if you look at, uh, of course, if you uh, look at patient per patient, you may have sometimes some discrepancies between qualitative and quantitative data, for instance, regarding the RV systolic function or the LV systolic function. But if you look at, in average, you have a good distribution and difference of values between, if I take the example of LV systolic function, if you look at the ejection fraction, in patients in womb, it was said qualitatively normal or moderately uh, impaired or severely impaired. You have very different uh, LV ejection fraction, even though you may have some overlap between the three groups. Thank you. Going through the patient criteria and the main results of the study, can you tell us the main results of the study and its coloration to different patients' clinical data? Yes, so, so the main results is very, uh, is very simple. Uh, first, uh, the echo was abnormal in uh, more than 34% uh, of patients. So it means that in many patients, the echo was normal. Uh, second, we uh, observed the LV systolic dysfunction in 22% of cases by a qualitative evaluation. And if we look at the quantitative evaluation, 
the ejection fraction was especially um, uh, decreased in patients older than 60 years old. Third, the uh, RV systolic dysfunction was observed qualitatively in 22.5% of cases. And once again, if you look at the quantitative evaluation using the TAPSI, the TAPSI was below 16 millimeters, which is the usual abnormal cutoff value, in, especially in patients older than 60 years old. And finally, I, as I told you, we uh, observed acute corpulmonale in 17% of cases. And the risk factors associated with ACP was the need for mechanical ventilation, was uh, the uh, PSCO2, was the occurrence of pulmonary embolism, but more importantly, was not associated with the plateau pressure and the PNF ratio. As explained, was, uh, was our hypothesis explaining that the PNF ratio was not associated with ACP. Regarding the plateau pressure, which is usually associated with ACP in non-COVID-19 patients, it is probably uh, in this specific group of patients, not a good reflection of the uh, distending pressure of the lung, because this patient, as you know, most of them were obese with a low compliance of the chest wall. And so the plateau pressure was at least a reflect of the injury of the chest wall rather than the true uh, a huge injury of the lung. Thank you so much. Moving from the results, you have mentioned some limitations and some strengths of the study. What were the limitations and the strengths of the study? So, so the limitation, as I told you, is that the study first is retrospective. And so we do not have uh, all the uh, quantitative parameters in all patients, explaining the fact that we had a qualitative evaluation in many patients. But as I told you, if we compare uh, uh, both uh, um, uh, way to evaluate the function, finally, we have a good, uh, the, um, a, a good uh, difference between the, the different subgroups of LV uh, function or RV function. And second, in the past, uh, we uh, were publishing that this qualitative evaluation is uh, quite accurate in the critically ill patients. The second bias is that, uh, uh, as I told you, we only included patients who had an echocardiography during their ICU stay. And it, uh, it means that uh, all the other patients were not reported regarding their cardiac function and the echo uh, pattern. And this court finally uh, uh, regards uh, around 33% of all the COVID-19 patients hospitalized in the ICUs uh, included in the study during the study period. So first, this is retrospective with some uh, missing data, especially quantitative uh, uh, data, echo data. And second, we have a selection bias due to the fact that uh, patients who did not have the echo uh, were not included in the study. And about the strength, of course, this is, uh, in my knowledge, the largest study uh, in the field with the uh, larger series of uh, critically ill patients because we had uh, 677 patients uh, during the study period in whom we had a very uh, precise and accurate uh, echocardiographic evaluation. Thank you so much. Finally, 
if there was a take-home message or a conclusion you would like to mention, what it would be? Yes, uh, this is, I mean, not specific to COVID-19, but uh, the take-home message is that when you have to manage a critically ill patients uh, because of shock or respiratory failure, and I want to say that in this series of patients, it was very frequent that patients received norepinephrine infusion. So when you have this kind of patients to manage, in 2022, uh, doing an echocardiography, whatever the route, is, quite, is clearly mandatory and may help you to optimize the uh, hemodynamic support and the respiratory strategy. So this is the main take-home message. Just if we want to speak about something else of COVID-19, this is a general message. Please train yourself or using diploma to critical care echocardiography first and second perform the CE, the CCE at the bedside to improve your patient's care. I totally agree with you, Prof. Baron. Thank you so much for the contribution to this podcast. That was really helpful and have a nice day. Okay, thank you very much and see you soon.